So, Father, we thank you this morning for the truth of your word. Oh, my goodness. As Ed came and prayed for me, let every uh, restraint be removed. But, Lord, that we can see you, know you, and experience you in your fullness this morning as our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. We're going to continue sharing this morning on the centrality of Jesus as we're making Him Lord. In every area of our life, we're in a prayerful and careful refining here at Grace Church where the Lord has taken a match to everything that He didn't build or produce in the church and burned it so that everything we do is all about connecting to Him, being centered on Him because everything in the natural world that can be shaken will be shaken. It will be proven fallible, so get yourself, your family anchored to Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we're going to rely on Him. We've been talking for weeks now on the works of Jesus, knowing Him through the works that He did, what He actually came to do. So, number one, He came to reintroduce God's kingdom to us. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to initiate the new covenant. He came not to judge, but for judgment. And he came to make disciples. And these are all taken right out of Scripture where Jesus came on assignment. And uh, we ended last week the, the part on uh, making disciples. But i got to tell you this story. It's a beautiful story. So Sunday night, I had a reunion of sorts with some men I've walked with uh, in 2019 and 2020. And as we got together, it was a wonderful time. And when one of the guys got home, his wife had asked him this question or actually said, well, maybe when you're done uh, in discipleship with them, you could disciple me. And his answer is fantastic. Guess what he said? We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait. We can sit with the Lord now. We can start sitting in Scripture together now. We can start growing each other in Christ now. You know, Gretchen mentioned last week, even talking about 60-plus, if you're involved in 60-plus, you're involved in discipleship. Why? Because discipleship is moving people forward in Christ. If you have lunch once a week with a certain guy uh, and you're talking about Christ, each time you meet, you're sharpening one another, moving each other towards Christ, then you're involved in discipleship. If you have been to Scott and Mary Mormon's discovery group that's been going on for years here, and they love each other so much, they just meet through the summer spontaneously. They say, let's get together. Right now they're going through the book I just mentioned uh, on worry that I wrote this last year. If you're involved in moving people towards maturity in Christ, you're involved in discipleship. If you're involved in Gladys's group, you're involved in discipleship. Uh, if you're taking your spouse and sitting with them a night or two each week or at the dinner table and you're breaking bread together and getting into Scripture together, you're involved in discipleship. So with that, that means there's a lot of discipleship going on. Don't, don't wait around. Do what He asks you to do. If he says, begin sitting in Scripture with your family, do that. Amen. Amen. I just loved his answer. We don't have to wait. <laughs> Let's do it now. So we want this attitude towards growing and developing each other in Christ to be the culture here. 
And the key is that we all, how do you get a culture of discipleship? We all hunger to grow in Christ. We all want to grow and develop in Christ together to abide in Him, live connected to Him. How beautiful is it when husbands are helping wives and wives are helping husbands and just reminding one another to live connected to Jesus, to be conformed to His image, and then to work His works, you know, abide ways and works. Kyle and I were talking. We went fishing yesterday. He caught 11. I caught 2. Yeah. Clearly I have, yeah, he prays better and I have a lot of sin in my life. <laughs> oh, I'm a fisher of men. Oh, man. Well, he's going to say he is too. <laughs> he is too. But no, Kyle and I were talking in the truck down there. When, when we have people at Grace Church who desire to grow in Christ, love each other well, and provide spiritual support or accountability to one another in that growing in our knowing, you have a culture of discipleship. When we have widespread people who realize they've not arrived, but we want to grow. We want to grow in Him, grow in our knowing of Him, and then we've got a loving relationships, connections that we make with each other. And then we support each other spiritually then. You've got a culture of discipleship. And so I wanted to add that as we were talking about Jesus came to make disciples. I just don't want, I think the most important thing, one, certainly one of the most important things of discipleship is you hearing the voice of the Lord and doing what he asks. So if he asks you to go call Jim and start meeting with him once a week and Jim's good with that, you guys begin to meet together around Christ and around scripture, then you are involved in discipleship. And that is, that is a word of the Lord right now. Just being about the Father's business in the way of discipleship and growing in our knowing of Him and living connected, not just to Him. We need each other. Come on, amen. Right, Roger? We need each other too. We do. We need that spiritual support, that accountability, that little loving nudge. Hey, let's continue to walk in His ways. So with that, that's the first five. And then this morning, let's get into what I'm actually here to share with you, and that's number six. Jesus came on assignment, look at this, to reveal the true nature of God. Aren't you glad that Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He did not say, when you've seen Moses, you've seen the Father. When you've seen ten cities destroyed by an angel, you've seen the Father. He didn't say that. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the true nature of your heavenly Father. So this revelation, I want you to get it. God is Christ-like. This revelation changed my life. It changed the way I related to God. I quit being afraid that He was going to kill me if I did something wrong. That He was, he was not the Godfather. That He'd break my bones if I, if I owed Him money. Right? I was taught, you know, if you don't pay your tithe, God will take it out of your hide. Who is that? The Godfather. I was taught that in church circles. He's not the Godfather. He's my loving Heavenly Father. And so I went from worshiping like this to this. I became safe. I became secure that He not only means well, He means Steve well. And that He's committed to my knowing of Him. For that's eternal life. John 17, 3. See, this question, when you read through the Old Testament and you read through Scripture, this question needed to be answered. Jesus came at just the right time to reveal who God really is at His core. 
Because the old covenant reveals God's nature towards sin and he's not a big fan. And let me tell you why he's not a fan of sin. Because it kills you and it hurts you. That's why. Not because it's wrong and violates his conscience, but because of what it does to you and what it does to life on this planet. So the old covenant reveals God's nature against sin. The new covenant, Jesus Christ comes to initiate and inaugurate, reveals God's nature towards the sinner. And he loves you. He loves the sinner. He doesn't desire that any of them would perish. Come on. But all, all would come to repentance, to know Him, to eternal life. If you would rather see a sinner destroyed than saved and in connection with God, you are in the wrong dispensation and you've got a wrong view of the new covenant and the true nature of God. We're in the dispensation of grace right now. That is the offer on the table. Amen. God, why does God get discredited? Why do people go on, on the radio, Christian people, when 9-11 happens or the Murrah building happens, they go on the radio and say, God's judging us all. Where does that come from? Why would God kill little babies, innocent little babies? He's going to wipe them out in a fiery inferno because we didn't do something right? The word was we didn't pray enough in Oklahoma City. We were unholy in Oklahoma City. Even New Orleans with the giant flood and those things. Well, this is God's judgment because he hates that city. What Bible are you reading? What, what covenant lens are you looking through? He's already punished sin. He punished you for your sin in Christ, his son. When he died, you died. He didn't just die for you. He died as you. So the punishment for your sin was meted out on Jesus Christ at the cross. And it was a satisfactory atonement. It was enough. John twelve thirty one. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. This he spoke, speaking of the death that he died. I think that's verse 33. Verse 31, he says this. Are you ready? Now is the judgment of this world. He said that in John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be stripped of all his power to accuse you. Because I'm going to be lifted up on the cross. He's not talking about worship. He's talking about the death he would die. I'm going to be lifted up on the cross. I'm going to take every man since Adam, put him into me and put him to death in righteousness and justice, execution of sin. He did not condemn you. He condemned sin in the flesh and put your old man to death. Romans chapter six, whoever's died is now freed from sin. Romans chapter 6. This is not my notes, but I'm going to give it to you. (laughs) Romans chapter 6. Listen to this. This is incredible. Verse 7. He who has died has been freed from sin. We have died. We have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who live. Christ that lives in us and through us. Verse 6. Let me start there. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Jesus Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. He, he put our old man to death in himself. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So it's not like God's winking at your, your sin and your nastiness. He executed judgment on it in Christ. And it's a just judgment. Propitiation is the satisfaction of God's wrath against sin. Three times that word's used in the New Testament. Propitiation. 
God was satisfied with Christ's sacrifice. How come we aren't? We ought to be living free lives. Free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives it unto God. Verse 11, Therefore, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can consider yourself, reckon yourself already crucified. In Christ. So that means the punishment. There is no double jeopardy here. You say, well, there were sins I hadn't committed. Oh, no. Uh, Every one of your sins were uncommitted when he died as you. Does that make sense to you? So the power of his blood and the justice that God meted out. Remember, he slayed this lamb before the foundations of the world. So God meets out this ju- this uh, justice at the cross and it's satisfactory for him. So now you get to live freely unto God. Is there judgment still coming? Yes, there is. But right now we're not in that dispensation. The judgment we are living in is the reality that our sin has been judged at the cross. Different type of judgment that's coming. Boy, that would be a whole nother series there so god gets get discredited and gets credit for things like earthquakes killing six thousand people and all that because they don't understand the true nature of god they miss the simple teachings of jesus where he said if you've seen me you've seen the father the true nature of the father is revealed in jesus christ and for that i'm thankful that god at his core is christ-like now if you're taking notes here's five things that are super important Five things that are affected by your view of who God really is. Number one, it affects how you relate to Him. How do you have intimacy with some some God you think might just smite you down and give your kids cancer because you cussed or you drank too much one night or I don't know what everybody's vices are or what your struggles are. But when you see God that way, it's hard to relate to Him as loving Father if He's liable to take you out like the mob boss does. He's Heavenly Father, not Godfather. That He might break your bones if you don't give Him the right amount of money. (laughs) Number two, it affects your praise. How you relate to God. Go go into churches where there's no praise, there's no freedom, there's no love, there's no adoration of God. They don't know who He is. Psalm 48.10 says, According to thy name, so is thy praise. So according to who He is. According to who He is. That's how we praise Him. Not according to how my weekend was. Well, I sinned twice on Saturday and... I sinned once on Friday night, and so my praise is only about here. But boy, when I had a great weekend, here it is. No, praise is rendered according to His name. According to thy name, so is thy praise to the ends of the earth. How about this, your level of trust? Who you believe God is at His core affects 
your level of trust. And we have people all over Christendom working hard to get more faith. I got to get to where I can really trust God. Get to know him. If you know him, you'll trust him. When I figured out that God is Christ-like and that when I look at Jesus, I've seen the Father, uh, trust exploded in my heart. Like I said earlier, not only that he means well, but he means me well. He's not out to hurt my wife, hurt my kids. He's not looking at my behavior all the time, uh, ready to smite me down. It affects your level of trust. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I'm God. Get to know him. You can work hard to get faith or you can get to know him. Be still and know that I'm God. How about this? Be still and know that I'm good. Be still and know that I'm kind. Be still and know that I'm faithful even when you're not. There was a teenage girl that was asked a year ago, if there was a God, she was an atheist, if there was a God you would like to believe in, what would he look like? Listen to this. Are you ready? A God that I would believe in would be good and would be kind. He would be forgiving when I stumble, faithful even when I'm not. He would be helpful and he would heal people. She just perfectly described the ministry of Jesus Christ who said, if you've seen me, you've seen your father. But you see how the church has lost her way. We've got this concept of God that is anything but that. That he's totally transactional. Be good to God or he won't be good to you. Send us your money or God won't bless you. How did we fall for all that? Send us your money. Because if you give us a hundred dollars, God will give you a thousand. You know what I want to say to him? If you believe that, send me a hundred. Because you're the one who needs money. I'm not asking for money. You're asking for money. If that is true, if he said everybody who gives a hundred gets a thousand, then why are you TV people sending a hundred people a hundred dollars? <laughs> and the golf clap ensues. <laughs> How about this? Number four, your revelation of who God is affects how you relate to other people. My goodness. He's not going to be different through you than you believe He is to you. So if you think He is the smiter, the destroyer, you better not slip up. How do we tend to treat people who who mess up on us? Oh, boy. It affects how you relate to others. But Jesus is not going to be different through you than he is to you. So you need to get a revelation of who he is and then recognize he's in you to be that way through you. If he is, as the teenage girl said, if he's good and kind and forgiving, then he'll. if he's all that to you, he will be that through you. Amen. The revelation of God's nature through Jesus Christ is stunning. Because Jesus never, let me see if, the, if he wants me to say this here. Yeah. Jesus never created debt towards other people by the things that he did. Could you imagine Jesus if he'd have said, Peter, I did heal your mother-in-law, so I'll expect you to remember that. 
uh, come the time that I need my lawn, my lawn mowed. <laughs> or Jesus needed 20 bucks and uh, Peter's like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, I just don't have it. And you're like, can you imagine Jesus saying, Peter, don't you remember? I healed your mother-in-law, man. Jesus did not create debt from others towards him. Now let's go a step further. He didn't, uh, he didn't keep track of debt for all the people that wronged him. He wasn't transactional. We are totally transactional. I can do something for my wife Stacy and the flesh in me wants a return at some point. I may do it good at that point, but I'm keeping a record. <laughs> Honey, remember when I, I, I did the dishes for you that one time. How come you're not doing them for me? We create debt inside of our mind by what people do to us, for us, whatever. Jesus, they're ripping his beard out of his face. He's not keeping a record of wrong. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What is wrong with him? (laughs) What is wrong with this guy? Are you tracking with me? He was not, he never created debt in his relationships with people, either by all the wonderful things he did, or by the things they did wrong to him. So Don Wheeler and I were having a conversation this week. I said, Don, how did he do it? Guess what Don said? He lived out of his nature. He lived out of the internal supply of that fountain of ribbing, uh, rivers of living water that's on the inside of him. So he didn't have to keep debt because he knew he'd never lack for anything. The only reason you keep debt is because you believe the lie that you lack something. That somehow if I... I buy Kyle's dinner and I'm out 20 bucks and he never gives it back to me. Somehow that won't be made up by my heavenly father. So I'm not trusting my father is my supply. He's the one who told me to buy the guy dinner. Do you, do you see? Jesus never believed the lie of lack. He always knew he'd had more than enough. So if he heals Peter's mother-in-law, whether he gets anything or a special offering for it, He didn't do it for that. He lived out of the divine nature of his father that's ever flowing, this ever, ever springing spring, everlasting spring of living water, excess that lives on the inside of him. Guess where that spring is now? Inside of you all. Peter said that we, Jesus has made us partakers of God's divine nature. So when I have this nature of God welling up within me, I'll never believe the lie of lack. I can, if the Lord tells me to buy the garments dinner one night a week for 56 straight weeks, should I start fearing where the money's going to come from? Nope, because the Lord has asked me to do it. Should I hold something over their head that, you know, I, the Lord told me to do it. I'm really glad I did that. Did you guys notice? <laughs> wink, wink. Because, you know, when the 56 weeks is up, maybe there's something you can do for me. Stop living transactionally and live from the fountain of living water that lives on the inside of you. Stop believing the lie of lack. You don't lack for anything. Christ, the provider, is inside of you. Here's something else we do. He won't tell us to do it, but we'll go over and buy Adrian dinner and then create debt in our mind because we just did it out of the flesh. And what does the flesh do? It creates debt. Whoever's working for God, Romans chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, write that down so you can look at it at lunch today. It's super good. Whoever works for God does not count blessings in their life as grace, but as debt. 
In other words, that God owed me this. God owed me this. Man, we do that with God too, transactionally. Uh, if I give God a bunch of money, He'll give me some money. But if I don't, He won't give me any money. He lives inside of you. You're living transactionally with Him, creating debt in your mind. I helped feed my, my neighbor's dogs when they were out of town on vacation, so I guess God's going to really do something for me now. You're supposed to be doing all this with Him. He was there. It was Him that was feeding the neighbor's dogs. But because you can't see your oneness with Him, you think you're performing for a reward. Woo! Should we just go home? I mean, right there? Should we just go home? Get rid of separation theology. The good works you're doing, He's doing through you. He's with you. He's the one inspiring you to do it. And yet, because we think we're separate, now all of a sudden I'm looking for a check in the mail. Because I did a little dance for God and He owes me now. Stop creating debt and live out of the life union that you have of Jesus Christ, this everlasting well and river that lives inside of you. Amen. Go ahead and give God praise. I know you want to. Let's do it. My goodness. Jesus lived by his nature. He just did these things because the nature of God is to love well. The nature of God is to be good. Is to be faithful even when others aren't nice to you. The nature of God. He sends rain on the just and the unjust, right? Or do you think it really only rains over your house? (laughs) How many of you have ever heard of naughty by nature? The group. Jesus was nice by nature. Jesus was forgiving by nature. Jesus was loving by nature. It just came out of him. He wasn't creating debt. Somebody owes me this. Does this sound familiar? You owe me an apology. What is that? Debt? Don't forget, Adrian, you owe me 20 bucks. Remember, six years ago, I bought your lunch. You owe me. What are we doing? We, we, we're not trusting God that He's enough. Do you realize if you forgive somebody who didn't love you well, they didn't give you the love you deserve. Let's say your spouse had a bad day and they didn't love you well and you decide to forgive them because your fountain is what? Full. Do you realize you're trusting Him? You don't walk away from that transaction void of love. Who becomes all the love you lost out on? Him. You still got plenty of love, more than enough love, if your spouse didn't love you well that particular day. But we're like, oh boy, I'm going to get them. She said that to me, I'll never forgive that. Well, you just enslaved yourself then. Because unforgiveness hurts you way more than the other person. So Jesus is kind, how? By nature. He loves people well, how? By nature. He's not transactional. How about Matthew 5, 44 through 48? Anyone can give love to those who give love to you. I want you to love people who don't love you. I want you to bless people who curse you. What is he talking about? He's, he's taking you to a place that when the Holy Spirit comes, I want you to live out of the nature of God. Who you believe he is, how you believe he is, totally affects who you believe you are and how you are. You think we need a revelation that God is Christ-like in this country? I think we do. 
And that doesn't mean we just go around winking at everybody's wrong behavior or when they're trying to indoctrinate our third graders with all kinds of vile stuff. It doesn't mean we just turn and walk away. Jesus never used love as an excuse not to share truth. Is that fair? But boy, how you share truth because it violates my belief system. That's way different than I care about you. And I care about the lies that I believe. I'm entitled to my opinion, right? Isn't that what inclusion's all about? And diversity training? Is it my opinion matters too? And my opinion is that that's a sin and it's harmful to you. And I'm not coming at you like I don't have any. I've examined the log in my own eye, but I do see a speck there. And Jesus did not use love as an excuse to not tell the truth. And while you don't have the right to cram truth down somebody's throat, you don't have the right to reject it for them either. So if the Lord asks you to say something, you say something. Fair enough. But when you speak the truth, speak it in love. Jesus is the blessed balance of grace and truth. Amen. And why was he so calm? Why was he not mean-spirited? Because the truth is on his side. Make your witnessing a lot easier if you actually believe what you're trying to share with him. But we get all mad because our belief system is where all our security is. You have to believe like me or I could be wrong. Well, let me tell you, you're wrong in a lot of ways. Nobody here in this room has perfect theology. And if you've not come to grips with that yet, you need to. But it would help if you believed the truth that you're sharing with them. Namely, that God loves them and and that he loves them so he speaks truth to them. You know, the other side of that spectrum is the grace camp, the far extreme grace camp that God doesn't care what anybody does. We're all good. Everybody's saved. Everybody's, that's a lie and a deception. People who say God doesn't care what we do don't understand the love of God. God will protest every step of your self-destruction. And he'll protest it in the homosexual lifestyle, LBGTQ, whatever it is, he'll protest that. And I don't mean with rocks and ugly spirited signs, but with truth of the law of design. That's how he'll protest. Does that make sense to you? It's just a balance of grace and truth. So Jesus was loving by nature. And now this nature resides in you. You have the DNA of God. I think it's 2 Peter 1 that he's made us partakers of God's divine nature. You've been born again by an incorruptible seed, the Word of God. The Word of God is in you. Who is the Word of God? Christ. He's in you. So Jesus was powerful by nature. He had power over sin. How important is it that you know your new nature in Christ? He never bought the lie that he lacked for something. So who you believe God is affects how you treat other people and how you relate to them. And so we need to get a glimpse of uh, his goodness and his graciousness. Don't ever become so Christian you can't relate to a sinner. Just remember where you came from. And remember how well you performed in the flesh before you got introduced to the DNA of God on the inside of you. Is that fair? They can't be holy without Him. I don't know why you lay up heavy burdens on them and don't point them to the way to life. 
That's what the law does, what Pharisees do. Jesus said, you lay up heavy burdens on people to change, to be this way, but you don't lift a finger to help them. Jesus came to help them. Number five, who you believe God is affects how you pray for people. If you believe God's the one who made everybody sick and gave that poor guy cancer, why would you pray for him to be healed? You wouldn't. But that's a lie. If you think God put cancer on your friend Bill, you've been deceived. It is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus never put cancer on anybody. Could you imagine him saying, Peter, you know, I asked you to tarry in prayer with me for an hour. You didn't. So when you go back home, your mother-in-law, she's got cancer, buddy. Man, I want to know a God like that, don't you? Uh, That's total intimacy right there. Oh, I love you so much, Jesus. Please don't kill me. God's, God's not putting cancer on people. How do we know this? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What did he do with sickness and disease? What did he do with it? He healed it. So it affects, let's recap, how you relate to God. It affects your praise. Dead churches don't know who God is. It affects your level of trust. It affects how you relate to other people, how you treat them, and how you see yourself. Because he's not going to be different through you than he is to you. And it affects how you pray for people. Amen. Shall we go on? Oh, we got lots of time. (laughs) All right, let's do Bible drill. I mean, I'm going to try to do Bible drill, but I'm liable to comment as we read it. John 14, 7. Amplified Classic Edition, John 14, 7. Jesus said, if you had known me, if you'd learned to recognize me, you would also have known my Father. From now on, you know him and you have, you have seen him. Now, this is important because, man, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm watching you say this, but I do remember in the Old Testament when 10 cities were wiped out. So this is important. I need to know who the Father is because I want a relationship with the Father. It's in me. To know the one who made me. Verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, hey, show us the Father. Cause us to see the Father. That's all we're asking. And then we'll be satisfied. (laughs) And then God the Father, speaking through his Son, says this. Have I been with all of you for so long and you still don't recognize me or know me? Where is God the Father? He is in the Son. We see the face of the Father in the face of the Son. We, we were touched by the hands of the Father through the hands of the Son. We were embraced by the love of the Father through the love of the Son. God is Christ-like. This is important revelation. And this is one of Jesus' major assignments is that he came to reveal who the Father really is. So verse 9, have I been with you this long? You still don't know me, Philip? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? You think Jesus ever just, oh my goodness. (laughs) Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is inside me? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. 
the world. It doesn't say just the Grace Church, Bible thumper people who really got the goods. He reconciled the world to himself. If we'd rather see the Democrats destroyed than saved, <laughs> we're wrong. I'm preaching good, aren't I? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, all that stuff lends itself one side or the other. Like, oh, I fully support this side. I'm totally this political party. It lends itself to the idea that that other party that you're, uh, that you're siding with has it all together. I'm telling you right now, neither one of those parties, both of them need Jesus. And the only hope for America is the government of God, not the government of mankind. And the government of God is yours. He lives in you. The governor, Jesus called him, lives in you. Or Isaiah called him, lives in you. That's the real hope for America. Now look at what he does. This transition here is fantastic. Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? What, what I am telling you, I do not say on my own authority or my own accord, but the Father who lives continually in me does His works, His own miracles. He's doing all the stuff you're seeing. Everything is happening. He's just doing it through me. So what's the role of a a spirit-born son? To yield and partner with the Father. That's it. (laughs) I thought we were supposed to work hard. Fast twice a week. Give your tithe or God will pay it out of your tithe. Go to church. He'll wreck your car, you know. He'll take it out in doctor bills. Anybody ever heard that? Honest? You don't give him your, you don't give him your money. It's not your money. You're in the wrong covenant. You own 90% and he owns 10. What a deception. You believe that, you'll start giving him, you'll start thinking you own 90% of your time and he owns 10% of it. He owns you. He bought you. And you ought to thank him for that because you did belong to the kingdom of darkness. And he bought you. So he owns all of you. You don't have any money. It's all his. You're just a steward. Man, oh man. Amen, somebody. So the father's doing all the miracles. Verse 11. So believe that I'm in the father. He says it again. Then the father's in me. Or look at this. Believe me for the sake of the very works themselves. If you can't trust me and that the father's nature is revealed in me, in my nature, then let these works that I do convince you let the works i do in the father's name convince you do you know what he's saying he's saying if you can't see the father in my demeanor my attitude even my teachings my persona which is revealing that god is loving and good and kind and faithful and all these things if you can't see it then see him in the works that i do you can see the father the father's revealed in the works that jesus is doing what did he do well he healed a leper by touching him that sounds like The Father's nature is good to that leper. How did the Pharisees treat the lepers? Shunned them. Unclean. And here the true nature of God is not to shun the leper. Shun the sinner. Jesus ate with sinners. (laughs) Tax collectors found him approachable. I believe one of his disciples was one. Come on. (laughs) 
He's saying that the works you see me do, all these miracles, they're revealing the true nature of the Father. The woman caught in adultery. I revealed to you that day the true nature of the Father, not to kill her, but to save her. Luke 9, I didn't come to destroy men's lives, I came to save them. Why is he doing that? He's revealing the nature of the Father. Last week we talked about, in discipleship, even greater works we would do because he goes to the Father, right? So we're the ministers of the new covenant now. Remember that? Please tell me you remember some of that. Because, man, I poured my heart out last week. You've got the ministry of the new covenant. The ministry of the Spirit is alive in you. And we talked about doing greater work. So guess what's true about you? Not only can you say to your friends and family, if you've seen me, you've seen the nature of the Father, because the same Spirit that was in Him is now revealing God, uh, the Father's revealing Himself through you, but the works you do also reveal the nature of God. That needs to be true. If you can't see the nature of God the Father through me and my attitude at work, my disposition here in the living room with our children, then believe through the works that I do. How I serve people, give to people who can't possibly pay me back, pray for healing in the city of New Orleans, not for judgment. Shouldn't it be true about the works that we do? Remember, a disciple abides in his, abides in him, walks in his ways, becomes like him, and then we work his works. So the works that you do should reveal the nature of the Father. And, and you get to live out of nature. Amen. So when we, when we disciple somebody, let's go back to what I said at the beginning. I'm going to invite Jim to lunch once a week and we're going to talk Jesus. We're going to stir each other to love and good deeds. I'm not doing that so God will bless me somewhere down the road. God the Father is doing that work with Jim through me. And my works reveal the Father's nature and heart and love for Jim. I am now a walking testimony, an epistle of the Father's love, a revelation of the Father's love for my children, for my spouse, Stacy, for my coworkers. Don't you want that to be true of you? Then you must live from His nature and live from His supply. It's the only way we can reveal Him. So if we, when we come here, when we come here Friday night, July 2nd, and there's like 800 people from our community here, and all their little kitties, and they'll be running everywhere. It'll be glorious. <laughs> Bounce houses, three-point contest. They're going to have a, the, a joyful time. They should be able to see the nature of the Father through our what? Generosity. So when we hand them a gloriously cooked all-beef hot dog, all-beef, <laughs> If you can't see the Father through my demeanor, you should be able to see Him through the works that I do. And I'm not asking you to pay for this glorious all-beef hot dog. It is what? Free. Well, it's good, yes, but it's free. <laughs> it's free. What about the popcorn? How much is that? Free. What about the glow necklace for my kids? How much is that? Free. How much are the bratwurst? Free. Why? Because if you can't see the nature of the Father just in my disposition here tonight, you can see and believe in Him through the works that we do.
Matthew 5, 16. You can write that one down. Let your light so shine before men that they what? See your good works and glorify the Father because the Father's nature is revealed in the works that we do. It is revealed in our character and our attitude. Yes, of course. But it's also revealed in the works we do. John 10.30, I and my Father are one. See, the Father is revealing Himself through the Son. The true nature of God. We need to get it. John 1.17, Amplified Classic. For while the law was given through Moses, grace... And truth came through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. No man has ever seen God at any time. The only unique son or the only begotten God, he is God, who is in the bosom, the intimate presence of the Father, he has declared him. Who are they talking about? Jesus Christ right here. He has declared him. He's revealed God the Father. He's brought him out where he can be seen. He's interpreted him and he has made him known. Amen. Hebrews 1, verse 1 through 3, New Living Translation. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Everybody tracking with that? That's how God would speak. It's through the prophets and those things. But now in these final days, He's spoken to us through His Son, whose nickname is the Word of God. God promised every to the, everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. Verse 3, the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very nature, uh, sorry, the very character of God, and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Are you figuring out who Jesus is? Colossians 1.15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and He's supreme over all creation. John 12.45, New Living Translation, Jesus said, When you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in the dark world, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. Notice He says, When you're looking at me, you're looking at the one who sent him. Who sent him? God the Father sent him. Verse 47, And I will not judge those who hear me but don't obey me. For I've come to save the world, not to judge it. Verse 48, But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I've spoken. No wonder he was so relaxed in sharing the gospel. Because he knew The truth was on his side. I don't need to fall apart because Jimmy didn't believe what I said in the sermon today. Because I know I can pray for Jimmy. Because the truth is, if he rejects God, then he'll live in eternal separation from God. The facts are on our side, people. You don't have to out-argue everybody. Be good, be kind, and be full of faith faithful if they don't see it they don't see it is it fair to say the revelation of christ is supernatural it is it's by revelation 
Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. My Father showed that to you. So be patient. Pray for them. Don't take it personal like your evangelism tactics aren't working too well. The truth is on your side. Love them. Be good to them. Be kind to them. Bless those who persecute you or curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. Here's the other one I mentioned earlier. 2 Corinthians 5.19. It was God personally present in Christ. Look at this. Reconciling and restoring the world to favor with Himself. Not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but rather canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation, the restoration to His favor. So they do need to receive Him. But the forgiveness has already been made available. The reconciliation is already available. Just by faith, receive Him. There's nothing they need to add to it. Amen, somebody? If you can't see the Father in my demeanor, my nature, I want you to see Him in the works that I do. Or how about this? See Him in the works I don't do. Jesus didn't kill. Jesus didn't steal. Jesus didn't destroy. He didn't put sickness on people because they didn't, they didn't perform well enough for Him. Is this true? Is what I'm saying true? It is true. The only thing Jesus stole was He stole from the devil the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He stole from the woman caught in adultery all of her guilt and shame. And He stole a career as a beggar from the man born blind. (laughs) Two children were asked who is Jesus Christ? Little Sunday school class. They asked the little kids, who is Jesus Christ? The little girl said, Jesus is the best photo God ever took of himself. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. He has a selfie. God has a selfie. He does. Jesus Christ is God's selfie. We see the face of the Father in the face of the Son. We're touched by the hands of our Father through the touch of the Son. We're healed by the love of our Father through the love of the Son. And not to be outdone, the little boy next to her said, Jesus is the one who gave God such a good reputation. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Now, why would he go through all that trouble? Why would God... Be present in Christ. Go to all that trouble. Come here in the flesh to show Himself to you. Why would He do that? He loves you. He wants reconciliation to happen. Because truth, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth were revealed through Jesus Christ. Truth leads to revelation. Revelation leads to relationship. You see who He is, you come to Him. You receive of Him. That leads to trust. Relationship leads to trust. Trust leads to receptivity. And when human beings receive from God, life is conceived from the one who is life, divine life. Amen? The revelation of God's nature through Jesus Christ is also super important uh, to Him. 
And somebody mentioned it. Yeah, because he loves us, because he wants relationship with us. You ever wonder why he didn't reveal himself as just a book? Why come in an earth suit that looked like you and me? In the sense that he came in human form. Why didn't he come as a book? You're not a book. <laughs> You're not a book. You can't have intimacy with a book. Hard to have personal relationship with a book. Not only that, it's an inadequate revelation because if Casey reads from a book that God is revealing himself in, the words, I love you, the weakness of that revelation is that it's, it's uh, left to Casey's interpretation of what love is. Yeah, so if he grows up in a very unloving home, he's never he has no idea what real unconditional love looks like, then the only definition of love he has, he'll apply through human interpretation. He'll apply that to God. So Jesus is not some human being's revelation of who God is. He is God's perfect personal revelation of himself. The mistake we make in theology is we always start with man. Don't start with man. Start with God. And so God revealed himself through Jesus Christ. He is the perfect personal revelation of himself. And he didn't reveal himself to you in a book because you're not a book. A book doesn't look back. It's also left open for interpretation. It's the difference between me writing you a letter versus me coming to you in person. So he came to you in person. I'd say he loves you. God is infinitely personal. Luke 19.10, Jesus said that he had come to seek and save the lost. So if you're lost here today and you came looking for God, I got news for you. He's already looking for you. He came to seek and save that which is lost. Stephen, you guys can go ahead and come. Jesus is God's personal and perfect revelation of himself, not some man's idea. I mentioned it earlier. Jesus didn't say, if you've seen Moses, you've seen the Father. If you've seen ten cities destroyed by an angel, he didn't say that. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus reveals the heart of the Father. Jesus is not the Father's omnipotence revealed. He's not the Father's omniscience revealed. He's not the Father's omnipresence revealed. He confined himself to Israel. He's the Father's true nature revealed. And what does John 1.18 say? That Jesus, the Son, the begotten God, was where? He was in the intimate presence, the bosom of the Father. Who better to reveal who God is than the one who in all of eternity lives here in the intimate presence of the Father? Yeah, that's good. Will you stand with me? I'm out of time, not out of things to say. <laughs> Do you know him as good? Do you know him as kind? I think for me, what really changed it is when he told me, Steve, I not only mean well, I mean you well. I mean to do you good. 
And I entered the revelation that God is Christ-like, approachable, trustable, heals lepers by touching him. I mean, the, the, the thought that not only the nature of Jesus to die for the world reveals the true nature of the Father, but the works that he did, casting out devils, healing the sick, God means this planet well. He means people well. And he's health and he's life and he's freedom for human beings. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you have never met Jesus Christ and made him your personal Lord and Savior, and I mean received him by the Spirit into your heart. If you've never prayed that prayer, you've never asked him, Lord, I want to know you. Would you come into me, into my heart, and begin to show me who you are? Would you make me a knower of you? If you've never prayed that prayer and you want to this morning, would you slip your hand up and say, Brother Steve, that's me. I want to receive Christ. Anyone, anyone, How many of you would say this morning, like you're pricked in your heart, that, Lord, I want not only my nature, my demeanor, my attitude to reveal the true nature of the Father, but, Lord, I want the works that I do to reveal how good you are. Boy, if that's you, would you just open your hands with me this morning? I want to pray for you. I sense the Holy Spirit here in this place to administer this truth and this reality. Heavenly Father, apart from you, we can do nothing. But Holy Spirit, you have been gifted to us. And now, Lord, we turn from living out of a lie of lack and living out of transactions and creating debt in our minds. Thank you for setting us free today from that kind of living. That is no living, no life at all. But, Lord, that we can live out of the abundant supply, the river of living water. You called it in John 7, verse 38, the Holy Spirit that lives in us. We can live out of this fountain of life. And, Lord, that our works now can reveal who you are. Father, I personally, I am sorry. I humble myself. I turn from those, I guess fleshly mindsets. I turn from where we create debt, where I make people perform. Forgive me, Lord, of that. Forgive us for that. I know that you already have, but we receive that. We appropriate forgiveness and repentance this morning. We set our eyes on you. We don't lack for anything. Would you empower us to trust you in finances? Would you empower us to trust you that we don't run short of love if somebody doesn't love us right, that you're the presence of love within us, and that we learn to live out of our nature, our Father's nature. Holy Spirit, remind us again and again and again that we lack no good thing, that the Lord is our shepherd and we do not want. That you make us to lie down in green pastures, You lead us beside still waters, Lord, that goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life because you are with us. We are not takers. We are not transactional people. We are givers because our Father is our supply. Father, bless Friday night, July 2nd. I know you will, but bless it with your presence. 
May they see the nature of a generous, loving, saving Father through the good works that we do. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Come on, let's give him praise. Let's give him praise. Let's give him praise. Amen. If you have questions, there's a series out there on the bookshelf called The True Nature of God. I think I taught it five years ago. You've been listening to Grace Church, advancing God's kingdom, one heart at a time. For more, visit us online at gracechurch.community.